0: Everybody has a good book inside of them, waiting to be written, but some people also have a bad book in them. Welcome to Novel Ideas with Chris and Elsa, a bi-weekly podcast where each episode will look at a book that people have deemed as questionable. Then we'll decide if the book will be joining what we're dubbing the Library of Cursed Books. So come join us this week as we continue to discuss True Allegiance by Ben Shapiro.
1: Are you ready to start talking about this? glorious glorious book
0: i don't know if i'll ever be ready but i guess we have to do it we promised
1: okay so first things first in the first episode we did mistakenly say that soledad bombed a dam she actually bombed the water resource department of california
0: yes so i would like to apologize i did goof that up
1: also, we'll go ahead and get it out of the way now, if things seem a little weird in our conversations, it's because we made a big oopsie and <laughs> lost our audio file for the these two episodes, so we're re-recording them.
0: So basically, I turned on the backup like system for OneDrive, and then our editing software decided that it can't load anything we've done, so... Yep, here we go for take two.
1: That episode exists somewhere, just not in this universe. (laughs) Sadly. We're going to start with what we talked about last time, which was the timeline as we dubbed it, which for whatever reason, Ben Shapiro like it's it's almost like he was writing the book stopped and then started writing the book again but didn't go back to look when he set the book but also he has problems in the sense of he never reread his book to make sure that characters motivations and where they were made sense
0: and i don't think any editor actually touched this book because people would have noticed that when going through this i mean how could you not
1: But the first one we're going to start with is Brett Hawthorne.
0: Brett Hawthorne.
1: Now, Brett Hawthorne, we're going to start by just basically figuring out his date of birth. On page 19, Brett's Brett's birthday is alluded to. It's not directly mentioned. But on page 19, he does say, like, around when Brett is born. And the fun thing about that is it's very likely Ben Shapiro gave his main character his birthday.
0: So literally the main character of this book is what we call in fan fiction a Marty Stu, or a stand-in for Ben Shapiro's ideal perfect man, who he wishes he was.
1: Now, in this, it's Prescott calls him on page 19 to basically promote him to general. Now, we'll get into where that is wrong and not something Prescott can do when we actually discuss the book, but I'm going to read you the passage where he drops the birthday hint. And it is, the day after the inauguration, Prescott called again. Colonel, he said, I'm going to violate military procedure. I'm bumping you up to General Effective immediately. Brett was stunned. The youngest general in the Marines was in his mid-40s. Brett had just turned 41. So right there, he's saying that he just turned. So his birthday happens within the beginning of January. Ben Shapiro was born on January 15th. Inaugurations usually happen around January 20th. So we can infer that Ben Shapiro gave this character his date of birth.
0: I could see that. I could totally see that, given that this character matches his ideals of masculinity. I use air quotes for masculinity.
1: And on page 148, we find out that Brett has known his best friend Derek slash Hassan since high school. We can infer by him saying that Brett is 41. This is the 2008 uh, election season. So if we actually do the math, Brett should have been... graduating high school around 1987 okay the first time we hear brett's age though is on page 12 and that is when he mentions that brett is 22 years old and that he was sent to saudi arabia during desert operation desert storm but during its winding down so that would be around 1991 yeah And we know he's 22. So the next mention of a big event is a bombing in 98 in Kenya. And then we have 9-11 in 2001. So if we're following along and we're jumping with age, at the time that Ben Shapiro is saying he becomes a general is 41. But he previously mentioned he's 22, and we actually do the math. Ben Shapiro is adding a year on to his character. He's actually 40, not 41. Okay. And then there's bigger problems we'll get into with President Prescott
0: <laughs> in, oh my God. in relation
1: to this. But we're, we're not going to jump ahead of ourselves yet.
0: But, <laughs> he's trying to make sure that I don't give it away. <laughs>
1: but the big problem here is Ben Shapiro is off by a year in his own math. With excluding, if we cut out President Prescott and all the problems that are going to pop up with him. Ben Shapiro's own math, he's off by a year yeah. on, on the birth of his character.
0: And we're going to revisit this here when we talk about Prescott because, ooh.
1: But that's the biggest issue is he just doesn't seem to pay attention to the dates he's dropping. The next one is going to be Aiden and Ricky. Now, Aiden and Ricky are two, two characters that end up being mushed together because Ben Shapiro needed them to be mushed together for the story. But he doesn't pay attention to the backstories he gives the characters. Mm-hmm. So on page 52 wh- during the introduction of Ricky we're going to jump over to that to read it out loud <laughs> he says that he says that Ricky is not a detroit native but then later on he <laughs> makes the claim that Ricky is a detroit native
0: and BFFs with um, Aiden who is from detroit
1: they're, they're childhood friends
0: exactly
1: okay so this is where we're going to read about ricky o'sullivan not being a detroit native it's mentioned in here this is him in his car he's waiting to basically get off shift and the weird there's a weird formatting thing in this to where he will just jump perspectives of characters even though the chapters are formatted in third person narrative from the point of view of characters and Introde is like this character's chapter, this character's chapter. So he's not actually sticking to the POV chapter formula.
0: So, with the passage we're about to read, this chapter started in, I believe, LeVon's perspective? Yes. And then, out of nowhere, no change in chapter to let us know, or any like annotation to let us know, hey, we're switching to this person's perspective now, it just suddenly goes to this.
1: But this is where it's mentioned. He joined the Force just a year before. He wasn't a Detroit native, but He'd seen recruitment ads. High pay, chance for advancement. On the force, he was a newbie. But in Detroit, that was as good as being a veteran, given the turnover. So he's he right there in that paragraph says, Ricky's not from here.
0: I still have a problem with him seeing an ad for a police job in a different city that he doesn't live in. Like, Unless you're actively looking for that, you're not going to find that. Like, I'm not going to find an ad for a police job in my hometown of Milwaukee unless I actively look for it because I live in Kansas City. Like, that's then, not a thing.
1: Then on page 84, we're introduced to Aiden, and Aiden is basically described as being with a SWAT officer, but you're made to believe, like, it's a local SWAT. Not like... Because later on, Ben Shapiro identifies Aiden as being a fed. Yeah. So it's... It's confusing because he doesn't say, oh, Aiden's, like, a member of ATF or the FBI and is on, like, their, like, tactical SWAT team. He's just mentioned as being SWAT, so you just are led to believe he's, like, a regular humdrum police officer. But then in the backstory that he gives Aiden and Ricky, Aiden goes on to become a fed, whereas Ricky goes on to become a police. yeah. Which, also, if Ricky is new to the Force, that also means Aiden is new to the Force.
0: Right, exactly. I didn't even think about how that's inconsistent, because how is O'Sullivan a new police officer unless he went to the Academy and then just didn't do anything with it for a few years? Which is not something that people do. It's not good. It makes very little sense. Like, very little effort was put in actually writing this book. He just wanted to get out his propaganda. Pretty much. We'll
1: start at the top of the page and just work our way down just so y'all can see, like, or just so y'all can hear, I should say, how, uh, how Aiden and Ricky are now supposedly childhood friends grew up in Detroit. Aiden had grown up in Detroit, he said. He knew the city well. His grandfather worked for General Motors, had a union job. That was supposed to keep him employed all his life. Then foreign cars began flooding the American market. And the auto union contracts meant the American car companies couldn't compete. Jobs started fleeing. As they did, the government of the city decided to raise taxes dramatically on the people who still held jobs. On the companies that still decided to stay in town. They left too. Mayor after mayor took office, promising to bring business back then pandering by crushing businesses that remained. The tax base disappeared. The place became a wasteland. White families moved out into the suburbs. Black families couldn't afford to follow. The city self-segregated.
0: So racist.
1: Correct. Aiden thought he was the only white kid left in the city. Then he met Ricky O'Sullivan. The two became fast friends, joined at the hip. Their parents went to church together. They fought back bullies together. Ricky was a straight arrow. Aiden, the budding juvenile delinquent, eager and ready to do anything to make friends. They grew distant as Aiden hooked up with new friends. Missed school. So, right there, like, he's saying that they, they're from the same neighborhood.
0: In a very racist way of saying it, too.
1: And he also, like...
0: Just here's some racism for you guys. He
1: also manages to weave in there some anti-union talk. With, by, That's
0: true, he did. By talking
1: about, oh, it's because of the union that they couldn't compete. No, it was because they were able to undercut them because, again, the car, those car companies found a way to make a cheaper version of what you were producing.
0: I can't really speak much to yeah. that, so.
1: it's not a, It's not a union fault or a union problem yes of course a company is going to flee if you tell them hey you can make this majigger in another country at less cost even with importing it that's gonna happen and the reason that happened isn't because of foreign investors and things like that but like a lot of problems from that era it's ronald reagan
0: our favorite president Uh, she said sarcastically
1: if you can point to a problem it's probably ronald reagan
0: hey, we feel towards Reagan (laughs) how Shapiro feels towards Obama.
1: Yeah, and Ronald Reagan was president when myself, Elsa, and Ben Shapiro were born, and Ronald Reagan's a piece of shit. And then later on, on page 70, we find out about Ben Shapiro talking about how Aiden went on to become a fed and because Ricky helped him get cleaned up and stop hanging out with the wrong crowds and ricky went on to become a cop but again if this is true this all just recently happened and for whatever reason aiden goes out to california
0: (laughs) i mean people move yeah like i'm not from where i'm at but
1: but it's also one of those things of they were just mashed together because ben shapiro needed a reason to mash them together
0: he needed a through lines so all the stories would intersect at the end. Because this is kind of divided into three different stories, basically.
1: Now we're going to get to the part that is Elsa's favorite part of just the timeline of <gasps> what the fuck... Prescott! Were, which is President Prescott. Now, we... We first... The first inclination of the Prescott of being Obama which is very like it's pretty obvious not even like it's a brick wall in your face form of obvious but the first mention of that in not not so subtle ways is on page 31 and that is where basically Ben Shapiro spells out pretty clearly that Prescott's election opponent was John McCain he doesn't call him McCain but it was John McCain and the, this is just a, uh, a passage from that. It didn't hurt that his opponent, General Hart, had been a militant and boring old man. It also didn't hurt that his, pre, his presidential predecessor had been an unpopular member of Hart's party. Prescott linked Hart to the president and the country bought into it.
0: Yeah, the president, of course, that heart would be linked to, would be Bush. Yes. Bush Jr., basically.
1: And then later on, on page 34, we get another, basically, Hey, Prescott's Obama. And I'm just going to read that passage as well, that way you all know we're, like, this is just so stupidly dumb. (laughs) Anyway, who was Bradley to question him? Maybe Prescott wasn't the brightest guy in politics, but he was one of the cleverest. How else had he risen to the presidency from relative obscurity in a matter of a few years? How else had he beaten a well-established military hero despite a lightweight resume?
0: Being a military hero does not necessarily transition into things like politics, it first can, of all.
1: It can, but again, he's <laughs> not always. He's doing, like, the thing, one of the big criticisms with Obama when he was running was that he had only been a senator for half his first term, and yeah. they were they were doing the oh he's from Chicago and he came out of nowhere we don't know who this man is he's only been in the Senate for X number of years he doesn't have the experience like and that it was all that kind of garbage
0: yeah
1: and, and that was that again it's just further proof that but
0: I feel like comparing that his little bit of experience in the Senate to, oh, this person was in the military, therefore they should be the president, that's apples and oranges. Like, yeah. how is that even a comparison? And I feel like this person who's been in the Senate is more qualified than this person who served in the military, unless they have also political experience.
1: And if you ever look into John McCain's military career, the man was a was a fail son and a giant fuck-up. Like, there, he wasn't just, like, heroically captured or anything. He crashed a plane. Like he was a fuck up in the military. But, but you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go on a tangent on that, but John McCain was a fuck up in the military. <laughs> and only got where he was in the military because of his dad's position.
0: So a Nepo baby.
1: Yes. And then we jump to page one through one hundred forty nine to one and one fifty two. They mentioned the Bush administration, so we know the Bush administration exists in this universe. So, uh, further proof that Ben Shapiro is making Prescott Obama.
0: But guess what, guys? Guess what? Guess what? Well, we're g- we're gonna get there.
1: <laughs> I know you're. I know you're eager to get there, but <laughs> and now we're gonna jump to page one twelve, and on one twelve is where Ben Shapiro makes one of his biggest fuck ups.
0: Oh my goodness, the thing I've been so excited about. I don't know why I'm excited about this, guys, but this is where he lets us know that Barack Obama and his first administration existed. Barack Obama exists in this universe. Not just
1: his first administration, both administrations exist. Oh yeah, it is
0: both. And
1: this is the passage where he name drops Obama. And he's in the situation room because they're sending in a squad to save... Hawthorne from a terrorist group. We'll get into that when we discuss the overall book. But this is the passage. Prescott always felt a surge of power through his body when he sat in the Situation Room. This is where they had all made their biggest decisions. It was where Kennedy read teletype during the Cuban Missile Crisis. It's where President Barack Obama had sat watching SEAL Team 6 take out Osama Bin Laden. Barack Obama. And this is where Prescott knew he'd be sitting. So he name drops Barack Obama. Now, we could call this maybe just like a slip up to where Ben Shapiro just got excited naming presidents he could remember that were in the Situation Room. But the other thing in this is he could have just, he could have mentioned any other president in that situation. He specifically names Barack. And to further prove that Obama exists in his <laughs> world, he does it again. He yep. names him on page 115. He authorized and this is, again, same situation. So this is the paragraph. He authorized it anyway. If they failed, he couldn't be blamed for trying. Or if he could, he'd find a way to call it a well-intentioned mistake. If they succeeded, he'd have made the gutsiest call since Obama. Gutsier, even. What a hashtag that would make.
0: Hashtag everything, because that's the world we live in, guys.
1: (laughs) But he, again, he name-dropped him on 115 again, so Obama exists.
0: I remember when I first encountered that, I was like, Chris, wait till you get to this page. I can't wait for you to find this out.
1: And then something later on that we talked about in the non-existing in the ether now first recording was on page 194 he makes a giant fuck up again on page 194 he mentions ferguson missouri and for ferguson to exist that means both terms of the obama presidency exist
0: that's true that's so true and i hadn't really thought about that until chris pointed that out on the episode that exists somewhere in time that's not this time anymore
1: and this this here is the passage they're they're discussing in relation to the i believe it's the riot the the staged riot that soledad and the white supremacists that she's with that aren't white supremacists supposedly but they are (laughs) we'll get into that um stage to bust ricky out of jail and Prescott is upset about it. President Prescott shook his head. No bad imagery. You remember Ferguson? You put guns on the street. You might as well tell the media you're a racist looking for street warfare. Next option. And he mentions Ferguson, Missouri. So Ferguson, Missouri happened in 2014. Mm -hmm. That's during Obama's second term. Yeah. So this puts both Obama terms there. Well, the reason this messes everything up
0: it's because
1: that immediately ages up Brett Hawthorne.
0: Yeah, remember how I said we are going to put a pin in Brett Hawthorne for a minute? Brett, Here Brett, it is.
1: Brett Hawthorne is no longer 40 or 40, 41, according to Ben Shapiro. He's almost 50. He's 48, or according to Ben Shapiro, he would be 49.
0: Yeah, he's almost 50, which would not make him the youngest the, serving general, right?
1: Yep, and then the other problem is that means that Prescott won his election in 2016 Which would make him taking the place of Donald Trump in 2017 to 2020. Yes. Which makes Ben Shapiro seem like a crazy person when he says, and makes Prescott as his character seem like a crazy person, when he says that President Prescott blamed the wars of the predecessor on his predecessor. But also that means it was two Democrats running because it's somebody from Hart's party. So Hart is also a Democrat. <laughs>
0: right. It's, because Obama's a Democrat. It yeah. makes
1: everything messy.
0: It makes everything not make any sense. Because you would never have two Democrats running it. It's always going to be a Democrat, a Republican, and whoever, independents.
1: For, for those not in the know, and I don't imagine it's very many, but... President Obama did not start the war in Iraq and Afghanistan. That was President Bush.
0: Yes, that was (laughs) ugh, President Bush, one of the dumbest presidents to ever exist, in my opinion.
1: But it just it causes way too many issues. The fact that he doesn't pay attention to his own narrative timeline and just willy nilly jumps about. Yeah. And it also just makes the people that are the other right wing grifty people that are like praising this book seem like
0: fucking idiots. Oh, I mean, they probably are, but that's our personal opinion. They
1: didn't read it. I would at least read something before I gave somebody a word blurb going,
0: oh, this is the greatest
1: thing torn straight from the headlines. Oh,
0: you mean Mr. Brad Thor, Mm -hmm. a blockbuster thriller ripped straight from the headlines. Apparently he wrote Code of Conduct, which is a New York Times best selling book.
1: Like, I wouldn't I wouldn't do that. Like
0: No, I don't give reviews unless I read something. That's why people trust me to do review reading for them.
1: But this is the timeline. This is why we said the timeline was problematic in the last episode, is because by him just ignoring it in so many characters and like just things related to his characters to try and, like, his main goal was his political agenda he was trying to get across.
0: Basically, this is propaganda, badly packaged propaganda.
1: And instead of actually paying attention to the story itself and making sure that was cohesive, he was more focused on that. And it shows in the book, and the book suffers, and the book is a giant flaming pile of crap. But since we've transitioned into that giant flaming pile of crap... (laughs) Let's get into the book.
0: All right. (laughs) Aren't you guys excited?
1: So this book starts with a prologue. And the prologue that it starts with is a terrorist attack on a bridge. Yeah. It is the George Washington Bridge. And basically the two characters he introduced, one's named Jennifer, and Jennifer has a daughter that she's taking to school. Mm-hmm. And then the terrorist attack happens by the bridge having bombs planted, I'm assuming, at the base of one of the structures that go off. Sure. And destabilizes the bridge. Now, reading through the prologue, for whatever reason, the daughter that's in the car, Ben Shapiro keeps forgetting she's in there. So she, like, randomly appears and then disappears and then appears.
0: He focuses mostly on the mother.
1: Like, But the the daughter is like secondary to being it now. And there's they could have just
0: had her driving to work if he didn't want to write about this kid. He literally could have just done that.
1: And like, there's other stuff in here as well. But one of the big glaring things Mm -hmm. that I find like just stupid is the only way I can really describe this is in this prologue he describes a cable, a bridge cable, slicing through a car. And we're going to read through that. Okay. Jennifer screamed, but it was drowned out in the ear-splitting, crackling noise, hundreds of thousands of tons of steel twisting and bending and grating on each other, the sound of a million airplanes all crashing at once. Jennifer looked to her left as she heard the steel cable shriek, stretch on the other side of the bridge. She locked eyes with an elderly man driving a silver Lincoln Continental. Behind him, she saw one of the enormous cables snap clean and slither wildly back and forth like a beginning fly fisherman's messy cast. Look out, she shouted at the man. He couldn't hear her, but he turned to follow her eyes. The cable ripped through the Lincoln, slicing its occupants in half vertically. A jetting stream of red flowing in its wake, splattering Jennifer's windshield. So, the big thing with this is we all exist in the same world as Ben Shapiro, and... At
0: least we think we do.
1: I don't know if he's never been on a bridge. I assume
0: he has. I mean, aren't there bridges in L.A. where he lives? Yes. So he has to have at least been across one bridge.
1: But bridge cables are not small enough or thin enough to vertically slice through a person.
0: Yeah, we're not talking about razor wire here.
1: If anything, it's going to crush the car or just basically knock the car completely off the bridge.
0: Also, instead of describing it like a messy cast, like to make it sound more menacing, he should have described it like a serpent-like swaying and getting ready to strike. Yeah. Like, or, what the hell was that imagery?
1: Or if he wanted to, like, try for whatever reason to still have his person sliced in half... Why not say the bridge cable unspooled into a thousand little cables or something? Something along those lines, because those cables are just mesh wire twisted. Yeah. But he doesn't do that. It's just the bridge cable, in all its massiveness, swinging back (laughs) and forth, and then somehow manages to cut somebody in
0: half. Instead of crushing them. Yeah. He was trying to go for gore and shock value, but it fell flat for me, too.
1: The other weird thing in this prologue is he mentions everybody, like, screaming and sitting in their cars. He doesn't mention anybody getting out of their car and thinking to themselves, I'm going to make a run for it.
0: Right, or shit. I'm going to jump and see if I can, like, swim away. Yeah,
1: Nobody jumps off the bridge to swim away. There's nobody booking it by her car. Like, there's, like... That would make the most sense. Like, there is nobody, like, fleeing, like, outside their vehicle. Apparently, we all just sit inside our cars, <laughs> screaming to ourselves, looking around.
0: Apparently, all these people had a death wish going into this, and they were just. The universe heard them, and their wish was granted.
1: He doesn't cut to the one car where the guy's like, Yes,
0: yes, it's finally <laughs> happening. Release! Oh my god.
1: Release from capitalism. <laughs>
0: oh my god, what the fuck, Chris? <laughs> What the hell?
1: (laughs) Or just the guy calmly calling his boss and being like, gonna be late for work. I'm in a terrorist attack. And having his boss yell at him, like, because he doesn't believe him.
0: I shouldn't laugh, but these are all dumb enough things that I feel like Ben Shapiro would have written something like (laughs) this. Or you imagine his characters doing this. I don't find those actual scenarios funny in real life.
1: Sorry, I'm going to be late for work. I'm in the middle of a terrorist attack. Um, This is your third call in Hal. We need to have a big talk.
0: Sorry, boss. Like, mm. There's a cable right above my head. It might slice me in half. So I'm going to have to let you go. But no, he, he
1: doesn't show anybody, like, get out of their car or talk about her seeing anybody and get out of their car and just run down the bridge or jump over the bridge and be like, hey, I may actually die doing this, but if my chances of survival are better.
0: Yeah. Like, I would take my chances <laughs> but, with either trying to run or trying to swim. Yeah. But, you know, Ben Shapiro's not that smart in either of his characters. But... They're a reflection of him.
1: Yeah, and it's... it's again, it's, it's, it's a poorly written garbage book. Now, the first chapter really, really is, like, a chore to get through. It is a, exhausting because it is him just trying to give his entire backstory... For Brett
0: Hawthorne, it's a speed run of a lot of events that could have been broken up into different chapters on their own. It, this could have been part one, and then like the present part two, and then the part three being what part two is, and that would have made a lot of sense instead of feeling like a speed run that was done like in a half-assed way.
1: Or even then, like have other characters give us this backstory through just dialogue,
0: right? Instead of just telling us like this, let us experience it.
1: Now, the reason I said we would get back to him, Prescott, nominating Hawthorne to become a general and saying, You're going to be, I'm promoting you to general. Like,
0: Mr. 49 year old, 41 like, year old. Like,
1: the reason that's not something that can happen is because Prescott has the authority to nominate somebody to general. He does not have the authority to approve that nomination, that is through the Senate. So basically, you can say, hey, I want to nominate this person. They've had a stellar military career. I want to see them promoted and take control of the armed forces in this way.
0: Now, I feel like a nomination from the president would really help your case, but it's not a guarantee, right?
1: Yes. Well, and that's how all the military promotions work. Like, all those higher ranks, those go through the Senate. Like, those higher-ranking colonels and things like that, when you start earning those in... Even, like, the general stars, like the four-star general, the three-star. Yeah. Like, earning those stars, you earn those through recommendations of the president.
0: And the recommendations are based on, like, your service, right? Yeah. Not just because, oh, I like this guy and he's going to make me look good.
1: Yes. Yes. I would say yes and no. There's always going mean, to be it's some. Po-
0: it's politics. When, when you
1: get that high into the military, there are going to be some politics involved.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's where a lot of these guys transition into political careers. Yes. Okay, that makes sense.
1: But to do it by Ben Shapiro's logic, this would be like the president going into a, like a local fast food joint and complimenting the person that made the fries and going, "I'm making you a general."
0: <laughs> oh my goodness, that's good to imagine.
1: That's that's not something that can happen. That's why it's not like that. Is because otherwise he could promote anybody.
0: Right, with no military experience like, at all, just because he likes the guy.
1: Now, yes, the, the Senate will usually have like a discussion on whether or not they do agree with this nomination. And for the most part, they just greenlight those because there is no problem in the military for those people. Because, again, it is a voluntary service. Those people want to be there and they already know like that they're loyal to the country.
0: Right. There's the dedication to country and to if, the military.
1: If you do it this way where the president can just unilaterally make anybody a freaking general you're gonna run into those problems of you don't know where that person stands on their loyalty.
0: Right, there's a decent chance of high treason if you really <laughs> fuck up on who you pick.
1: And that's like, that's just one of the big like, problems. Like, Ben Shapiro just doesn't seem to he's he's m- more gung-ho to get to his political story, air <laughs> quotes, than he is like, to actually put the, put the actual work in. Yeah. Now, one of the other funny things in here is Ben Shapiro with Hawthorne has basically made Hawthorne his like idea of man and manliness.
0: Brett Hawthorne, Ben Shapiro's dream man. I mean, Ben Shapiro's dream of who he wants to be.
1: And with that though, like he does this really weird thing throughout the book, where everybody is height checked.
0: Yes, this is so true. Like You can't made a drinking game out of that. He this. tells you
1: that Hawthorne is like six three, I think, or six two, but then he also tells you Aiden's five ten. Like he goes through this book height checking everybody and it's like
0: He wants Hawthorne to seem like a big hulking man in comparison to all these normally sized like, characters.
1: You can tell you can tell me somebody is like tall and heavy set or or short and 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 skinny or something like there are other words and ways right. you can get across the look of something. he was a
0: bear of a man he was a mountain of a man but
1: ben shapiro's way of describing people is
0: just straight facts just numbers
1: this person is six feet tall he weighs approximately <laughs> 230 pounds and most of his weight is in his upper body because he's a big barrelly chested
0: man so he looks like johnny bravo <laughs>
1: <laughs> like that's Yes, like that's that's Ben Shapiro's way of writing descriptors for a character. Or this, if it's a lady, this lady is five two, she's petite. That's it. That's your descriptor.
0: Oh, and sometimes he'll describe them as attractive or something just to like make the point that this character is being scummy for thinking this woman's attractive, like the secretary or whatever in Preston's office.
1: And But one of the funny things you can do if you decide to rot your eyeballs out with this book...
0: Please don't. I beg you not to do this to yourself. But
1: if you so choose to, is um, read Brett Hawthorne's lines and Ben Shapiro's weird nasally <laughs> voice in your head, and it makes him really funny. Oh, God. So we're going to do a passage from here, where, and we'll discuss the implications of this and why Ben Shapiro, again, just does not understand... Anything. Any anything about people. He just was really like he had a real heart on for writing what he wrote, like politically to get his weird dog whistly message out. But here we go. And this is Brett is in now in Iraq and the compound that he is in is being sieged by terrorists. And this is him basically dealing with that during the attack. The ambassador is there. He's in the embassy, I believe. When Brett turned back to give his men orders, he saw the ambassador in the corner, cowering under a desk, clutching his briefcase to his chest. He was screaming at Brett in a high-toned Boston Brahmin accent. Your job is to keep me safe, so do your goddamn job shut the fuck up brett said (laughs) the coldness in his tone stunned the ambassador into silence
0: and also the sound of his voice (laughs) then
1: an odd kneeing noise emanated from his mouth it rose higher and higher louder and louder so brett punched him in the mouth not hard just enough to stun him get your pussy ass (laughs) onto the roof right now He said slowly, glaring.
0: (laughs) I have to look away from my mic. I am not it too hard. How do you punch someone in the face, not very hard, but hard enough to stun them and not break their nose or their teeth? But also... Like, how?
1: Also, this is a case, though, where somebody at Brett's level in the military is somebody that's going to be used to the fact that people that aren't in the military are not going to be used to being around a firefight. And would probably use some tact to try and calm him down. Would not just fucking hit the guy.
0: Right. The man is not a soldier. He is scared. The answer is not to punch him in the face.
1: Like, that is not something somebody... You don't want somebody reactionary in that position. No. Because they're going to get people killed.
0: Exactly. And he'll probably get himself killed, too. You
1: want somebody calm that could basically grab that ambassador and be like, you need to calm down. I'm going to get you out of here safely, but first calm down.
0: Right. I need you to trust me.
1: Like... The fact that like he's he's concerned that Brett isn't doing anything cuz Brett is just standing there chirping orders at his men and all that. It's like, okay, that's understandable. He's never been in a firefight.
0: Right. Like I would be terrified. <laughs> I'm not a trained soldier. I'm more um, or less a pacifist. So that would scare the crap out of me. He better not punch me in the face for being scared. Like, Jesus. Also, to make me more afraid. Pretty
1: sure a military leader is not going to risk their career punching an ambassador.
0: no his power can be taken from just like that just like it was given to him in ben shapiro's world
1: but now we're going to and we're going to be in the same situation where basically the ambassador is flat on a helicopter and Brad is in the still in the compound and the terrorists are sieging it but this is just going to go into show the the racism that ben writes throughout this book involved towards muslims and arab speaking people like he is so goddamn racist in this book towards them
0: he's racist towards everyone who's not white in this book right
1: but there you go bullets smashed through the windows and glanced off the cement facing of the building in unpredictable patterns the courtyard was filled up again new taliban fighters taking the place of the places of the old From below, on the first story, Hawthorne could hear the whining strains of an Arabic melody. One of the Taliban fighters had apparently brought a boombox along. Hawthorne stifled a bitter grin. They'd been so comfortable with their plans that they'd even brought their primitive iPods.
0: Who would bring any sort of musical device to announce themselves and gloat like that? But also, what the
1: fuck? Even then, like, even if they did bring a boombox... Why are you describing a boombox as a primitive iPod?
0: Right. Like, right. <laughs> that's, there, that's, that's so happens Again, like a primitive iPod would be a CD man. The, the,
1: the if you're really wanting to make them seem primitive, it'd be like, oh, they brought their they, they were banging on drums or something like that. Like there are there are ways to convey primitive music. Saying that the Taliban brought a boombox and was playing beats while they were storming an embassy. Just so fucking stupid.
0: Also, I think he's trying to imply like the music and the way of that culture is primitive because it's not in the style of American or European culture. Yeah, and that's Um, just disgusting. Not all cultures are going to be exactly the same homogenized bullshit as American culture.
1: Yeah, and he does this like throughout the book where he just, for whatever reason, wants to belittle the Arab and Muslim world as being like super primitive and out of date in stone age like later on he says like when brett is like because they end up fleeing the compound and brett is hurt he has brett talk about how he could see primitive fires on the buildings of taliban fires trying to keep warm it's like some of those buildings do actually have central air and heat
0: well when he introduced the city that they're in he described it as being so primitive there was like no electricity or anything in it and it was a major city yeah like, I don't believe that. You're just trying to be obnoxious and racist and disrespectful to their culture.
1: Again, we, we can only emphasize this so much. It's not a good book.
0: This doesn't belong in the Library of Cursed Books. I'm just going to spoil this part for you. It's going to go in a dumpster fire in, like, the, like, alley of the Library of Cursed Books because it doesn't deserve a spot. It's so cursed.
1: Now something with Prescott we need to bring up is Ben Shapiro decides that he wants to smear social safety net programs with him. because he's His bigger thing with him is going, he's so liberal and leftist, he's evil. Nah. And he uses him as a vehicle to critique social security, like food stamps, those kinds of things. Those sorts of things that are there for the betterment and good of society. Yeah. But i'm gonna read this passage
0: <clears throat>
1: and this is prescott talking about like actually getting out of iraq and afghanistan which obama did not do like yeah obama got out of i believe obama got out of iraq
0: i believe that's correct
1: so prescott is there to talk about like wanting to pull out of both afghanistan and iraq and ben shapiro uses this as like a negative because again he does not like the muslim or arab world and he thinks the u.s should be over there acting like fucking cops like he in
0: a country that isn't even ours he's don't...
1: gross about that Well, um, i think
0: he's a fan of american supremacy where we rule oh the world. he
1: is he's, he is definitely somebody i would describe as a fan of what would colloquially probably be referred to as american empire
0: yeah, that's kind of what I was getting at.
1: Um but we don't need we didn't need to be in both those countries and eventually we did need to leave.
0: Yeah, we should have left a long time ago.
1: <laughs> okay, but we're we're getting off topic. We're going to we're going to go into Prescott and him describing Prescott wanting to not be involved in those wars. So Prescott did what Prescott knew how to do. He survived. The easiest way to survive End his predecessor's wars. No matter what the cost, then pump up the spending at home. There was no glory to be won on the poppy fields of Afghanistan. Everlasting glory didn't come in the form of military victory in this day and age. It came from the everlasting social programs that grew and inured to the benefit of all Americans. FDR was... Worshipped not because of World War II, but because of Social Security. LBJ had lost Vietnam, but he'd won the Great Society. And so... And he ends this by saying, Big men, Prescott knew, required big governments. And big governments required big spending.
0: So I feel like him saying that having a legacy of social programs that benefit others as a negative thing is so silly. Like that's the sort of legacy you should want to leave behind is that you did good in the world. At least did good in your country. How dare a government,
1: how dare a government not want to go to war and want to actually Mm -hmm. invest in its citizenry.
0: That's what people should do (laughs) when they're in power. Like I want my government officials to take care of us. Like I want them to focus on the American people and taking care of those in need
1: and we're also going to talk about in this same area where he's making people trying to paint prescott as a villain and he's trying to be coy with this but he's not he's he's as subtle as somebody hitting you over the head with a pillowcase full of bricks
0: oh my goodness that analogy
1: like it's it's not subtle at all but in this he later has prescott do his own social good program which honestly doesn't sound that bad when you actually think about the implications of requiring like companies to keep on hand money for if they're going to do mass layoffs to be required to support those people that they mass lay off
0: right things
1: that make sense
0: right things that you know a company should be obligated to do i agree because if you need to but, lay people off you're telling them they're jobless
1: but he's going to do a really gross comparison and i know a few podcasts and like reviews that i've read have also brought this up i know behind the bastards brings it up i'm gonna bring it up because it is disgusting and it needs to be talked about and everybody should shame ben shapiro for it if they ever end up talking to him about his book because he's gross
0: but don't go out of your way to send hate to mr shapiro we're not here to do that. but nobody
1: in our audience Please do not do it. I'm just saying if you, for whatever reason, in the cosmos end up next to Ben Shapiro... And he
0: brings up true allegiance, then you're you not going to bring it to him.
1: Then you can do it.
0: Like, be good children. We are not inciting any of this nonsense.
1: But Ben Shapiro equates a social safety, progr- a social safety net program in his book with the Holocaust.
0: And remember, Ben Shapiro is a Jewish man. Remember Mm -hmm. that. He probably has ancestors who were involved in the Holocaust. Well, victims of the Holocaust.
1: This is Ben Shapiro writing him getting the idea for the program. Then a miracle. In the middle of the night, Prescott woke up with the phrase ringing in his brain. Over and over. It was as though a higher power had placed them in his mind. He grabbed a pen from his bedside drawer and wrote it down. Work freedom. The work freedom program. Prescott's Work Freedom Program. Everybody recognized the value of freedom. But what did that mean other than the right to a job? Freedom meant nothing if you couldn't put bread in your children's mouths at night. And America was a country of workers. Freedom was work. And work was freedom. Work freedom. Simple. Easy. Respectable. Genius. Now, the reason this is a massive, like, just hey hey i'm being clever this is i'm actually equating this to the holocaust is because of what's above the gates of oswish which is the it's a common saying and there's two ways to read it and one of the big ones is work will set you free
0: for obvious reasons that's kind of fucked up considering it's it's
1: super fucked
0: up
1: (laughs) like why are you doing this why are you even like equating that to this That is him basically saying, I think that social safety things are going to kill mass amounts of people.
0: I'm so horrified that I don't even know what to say. Like, it's, it's, wow.
1: It's not fascist to want to take care of the American citizenry.
0: It's literally the job of the government to do that. That's their whole job. Like, Like, that is the one thing you're supposed to be doing.
1: Like, later on, when prescott is actually describing this to his like chief of staff bradley which we'll also talk about he says something ben shapiro put something very stupid in here and it's a right-wing talking point stupid bradley stood silent then after a pause he noted softly mr president the treasury is empty now the u.s treasury not going to be empty never going to be empty because we all pay taxes and with those taxes like we're all paying into the government yeah the reason when you hear somebody say oh the government's like a household we need to run the government is not like a household you as a household cannot print your own money you will get in trouble for that
0: yeah (laughs) that's called (laughs) counterfeiting
1: The government, that's a crime. The government controls that. Like, how much money is in circulation? That's the government's purview. Like, so they, it's it's a dumb thing to say. Not, yeah. to, not to mention, we also have loans that we take out mm-hmm. that we pay on with that tax money. Now, if the U.S. government like falls and stops paying all those loans, um, the rest of the world is fucked because that's who we owe that money to. Like, yeah. we're all in a big spider web of paying each other's loans. Basically. And the U.S. economy brings in a lot of money to the U.S. government. If it, yeah. If it didn't, we wouldn't have, like, th- a U.S. military budget that's, like, three times higher than anybody actually needs. Yeah. So, it's, it's just dumb to say, like, that the U.S. treasury is empty. It's not a castle we it, we don't have a king who has yet. a treasury room who's like oh no i'm all out of gold how will i ever pay my soldiers it's that's not a thing
0: <laughs> i mean not right now but the right's working towards that
1: like it's, but that's a
0: whole nother conversation
1: yeah but it's it's so dumb the other thing is like that's just so dumb is he calls he calls prescott clever and conniving and ingenious But then he later has Bradley, who's, like, supposed to be, like, nerdy Ben Shapiro in his office, go, Bradley nodded curtly. Then he reiterated, more slowly for the three-year-old, we have no money. So, like, a bunch of people, like, sit around Prescott calling him a fucking idiot.
0: Right, or comparing him to a toddler, basically.
1: It's just one of those things of, again, (laughs) not, like, you can't be clever and conniving and also a fucking moron. No,
0: no. Like on the original version of this episode when we talked about how he was clever when they were describing Prescott in the intro to Prescott, I remember saying that I don't think someone can be clever and not be smart, but you can be smart and not clever.
1: Now we're gonna jump forward and we're gonna go to Soledad on page forty. And this is where we made our oops our big oopsie (laughs) in the first episode of saying that she bombed a dam. She bombed the water resource center. I'm going to read through this just so we have an idea. And this is why we're equating them in that first episode with the Bundys. Yeah. And for just a brief refresher, because I know it's been about a week, mm-hmm. the Bundys were upset that the federal government, the Bureau of Land Management, was protecting a desert tortoise from for its grass usage and feeding the tortoise and not letting ranchers like the Bundys go out there and eat all the grass off the land and starve out the tortoise. Right. Because in order to have a vibrant ecosystem, you do actually need to have the native indigenous wildlife in that ecosystem exist.
0: Yeah, because Because the ecosystem relies on everything that's there.
1: Because the cattle is not native to that ecosystem.
0: They're basically destroying the ecosystem.
1: They're, They're eating up all the grass, and we don't know what feeds on the tortoise that's also feeding on that grass. Or what other pests the tortoise, besides the grass, might eat.
0: Right, exactly.
1: Right, like, it's, there's a reason they do the things they do. Yes. It's not just... Bu- there's a lot of
0: research and thought put into this. It's not
1: just a bureaucracy for bureaucracy's sake.
0: Right. It's not just an anti-rancher situation in this scenario.
1: But Soledad's main thing and main theme throughout this book is revenge.
0: yes justified terrorism i'm putting in air quotes because that's what she is she's a terrorist
1: and this is where they talk about her her basically motives yeah and it says the environmental protection agency had ruled and congress hadn't overturned them the smelt fish were threatened by water overuse from the river she protested she sued it didn't matter According to the government, that her husband's father had bought the farm, worked it up from nothing, it didn't matter that her husband had worked his heart out, almost literally, on the farm, keeling over at the ripe old age of 52 while grazing those damn cattle. It didn't matter that she had 50-something employees and their families dependent on her. All that mattered was the smelt, that damn fish. Now, it's one of those things of, you don't know why they're trying to save that fish that could be something some something else feeds on
0: that right. is important
1: to the environment
0: or it feeds on something that protects that environment like it's kind of a circle of life type of thing
1: it's like you know, I, I, I am not a fan of ticks as a as a thing that exists in the wild i think they're annoying little parasitic bugs but possums feed on ticks. So I know there's a reason that we're not blasting the forest to wipe out all the ticks
0: or even just like a domestic thing. Like spiders creep me out. I don't want them touching me, but I understand that they take care of certain pests and things and are good for our environment. So I don't want to go killing all the spiders.
1: Now we're going to jump to where we, we talk about the bombing
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the,
0: and this is important. This is huge. She, she makes a
1: fertilizer bomb in a moving truck.
0: Yeah. Like
1: They say truck, but you're not going to put a bomb in the bed of a pickup.
0: No, like you're going to put...
1: That's going to be visible.
0: You're going to put it in like a moving truck in the back or something like that. Yes.
1: And this is where we're going to pick up. There were no casualties. Soledad had insisted on a weekend attack to avoid any human toll. But the building itself smoldered. A gaping crater, where the front door used to be. The news crawl scrolled. Massive bombing at federal building. Terror suspected. The governor pledged to get to the bottom of what he termed a brutal terror attack. He called on the federal government for emergency relief. After all, the Environmental Protection Agency shared offices with the Water Resource Control Board. The president pledged to do what he could. He agreed with the California governor saying such acts have no place in a democratic America. Now with this in our previously recorded episode, I showed Elsa pictures of the Oklahoma city bombing. Yes. And we brought this up in our previous episode (laughs) talking about how she's directly parallel to like a Timothy McVeigh type. And, like, I hadn't looked at the Oklahoma City bombing since I was a child. I briefly remembered what it looked like, but I hadn't actually, like, looked, looked at pictures. And it cleaved half the building off, the bomb they set off in that moving truck.
0: Yeah, it was horrifying.
1: Like, there's no way there's not going to be casualties.
0: Right, because not only are you damaging that building, you're going to cause potential deaths and injuries to the people around that building with the explosion.
1: Now, I also looked up the closest thing to what he calls the Water Resource Management of California. There is like a Bureau of Water Management in California, and I looked it up on Google Maps, and I showed Elsa pictures of that. And there's a park next door. There's a workout facility. There's a
0: museum behind
1: it. (laughs) There's a museum. Like, it's in the middle of downtown. Yeah. And you're bombing it on a weekend.
0: There's a walking trail.
1: There's also a walking trail.
0: And I know on the weekends I like to do walking trails and, like, little hiking things and stuff like that. So I would have been dead.
1: There's going to be casualties. There's going to be injuries.
0: Right. Like,
1: Ben Shapiro's trying to sugarcoat this to basically make it seem like, oh, she was vengeful, but this this, this didn't, like, hurt anybody. And it's like, no, it would have hurt people.
0: It would have hurt and killed people. Like, if I'm walking on that trail, I'm dead. I'm not injured. I'm dead.
1: Like, And not to mention, like, the debris that is going to fly out from this.
0: That's what I mean. Yeah. Like, the debris hitting cars driving by, the buildings the, nearby, the gonna walking have, trail. You're going to
1: have debris. You're also going to have the shockwave from the explosion itself exactly and any janitors that are in that building are also yeah
0: this is not a victimless crime by any means like
1: ben shapiro modeled this and clearly like in describing it in the (laughs) way he did is describing like he says like the front door is completely gone so in describing it he is describing basically the oklahoma city bombing which he was a kid also during and it's like what you're doing is gross Like you're excusing terrorism that you're okay with because it politically aligns with you
0: yeah this goes back to that question i had on the last episode of what is ethical terrorism and what is not okay what is unethical terrorism and we came to the conclusion that all terrorism is unethical
1: (laughs) now we're gonna we're gonna end that conversation because we did already have this really big conversation in our first episode
0: yeah because i really wanted to talk about it if you
1: haven't listened to it go back and listen to that that's where we do talk in depth about ben shapiro's views on what what we can construe are his views on terrorism
0: and possible inspiration and a book that we think definitely shaped his mindset
1: but we're gonna jump forward now and the intro to levon is a little crazy because it's LeVon is supposedly somebody with like Detroit pride and happy that he's from there. But he opens the book, he opens the Lavon chapter with Detroit was a shithole, but it was his shithole. And it's just one of those things like somebody that has that kind of pride in their city isn't going to refer to the where they're from as a shithole. They may say it's got its problems, but it's working on it or right. something like that. They're or not it's
0: not perfect, it. but it's home.
1: They're, they're not going to call their home a shithole.
0: I mean, typically, no. Not unless they don't like where they live, in which case it would make no sense for this character, who is definitely a Detroit Pride guy. Like, he runs some of the neighborhoods. He has a barbershop business, right? And then Mm -hmm. he has other businesses he's involved in. Like, he's very involved in his community.
1: And it's one of those things to where, like, you read it and you're like, this is just Ben Shapiro being racist. Like, he Ben Shapiro thinks Detroit is a shithole.
0: I wonder well, if he's ever actually been to Detroit, or if he just thinks that way because he's a right-wing ghoul.
1: LaVon well, does not. And, like, LeVon, like in this chapter, this is where LaVon also meets, like, Big Jim. And then this is also where we're going to dive into the grossness that is Ricky O'Sullivan.
0: Yeah. Anyway. Oh, yeah, because I titled this in my notes. What was it? O'Sullivan, the setup, and the kid, or something like that. And it gets kind of fucked up.
1: Yeah, O'Sullivan is basically called to a robbery in progress yeah and shows up and at the gas station gets out to look around and then sees like a kid that is in the shadow but somehow has visibly dead eyes
0: yeah but he keeps calling him a cute kid too his laugh is cute the kid is cute but his eyes are soulless and he's got his hand in his pants pocket and he's holding on to what is presumably a gun
1: we're gonna i'm gonna go ahead and read through this and we're gonna then discuss like how actually gross this is
0: yeah and how poorly the situation was handled
1: so this is the start of the one of the most racist passages on this book then he heard the voice a big it said the voice wasn't deep it was the voice of a child and the kids stood outside the door of the quick mark Legs spread, arms hanging down by his sides. A cute black kid wearing a Simpsons t-shirt and somebody's old Converse sneakers and baggy jeans. On his hip, stuck in those loose, baggy jeans, was a pistol. It looked like a pistol anyway, but O'Sullivan couldn't see clearly. The light wasn't right. He could see the bulge, but not the object. O'Sullivan put his flashlight back in his belt. Put his hand back on his pistol, the greasy handle still warm to the touch. Stop right there, pig, the kid said. His hand began to creep down towards his waistband. O'Sullivan pulled the gun out of his holster, leveled it at the kid. Put your hands above your head. Do it now. Fuck you, honky, the kid shot back. Get the fuck out of my neighborhood. Then he laughed, a cute kid laugh. O'Sullivan looked for sympathy behind those eyes, found none. Oh shit, O'Sullivan thought. Then he said, hands up right now. The kid laughed again, a musical tingling noise. You ain't gonna shoot me, pig. What you afraid of, a kid? O'Sullivan could feel every breath as it entered his lungs. No, kid, I don't want to shoot you, he said, but I need you to cooperate. Put your hands above your head, right now. The kid's hand shifted to his waistband again. O'Sullivan's hand began to shake. Get the fuck out of my neighborhood, the kid repeated. O'Sullivan looked around. Stealthily, still nobody on the street. Totally empty. The sweat on his forehead felt cold in the night air. In the retraining sessions at the station, they told officers to remember... The nasty racial legacy of the department. Be aware of the community's justified suspicion of police. Right now, all O'Sullivan was thinking about was getting this kid with the empty eyes to back the fuck off. Go home, he said. You go home, white boy, said the kid. His hand moved lower. Suddenly, O'Sullivan's head filled with a sudden clarity. His brain with a preternatural energy. He recognized the feeling of the adrenaline hitting. He wasn't going to get shot on the corner of Iowa and Van Dyke outside a shitty convenience store in a shitty town by some eight-year-old bleed out in the gutter at some city the world left behind. He had life, too. The gun felt alive in his hand. The gun was life. The muzzle was aimed at the kid's chest. No way to miss. With the kid this close, just ten feet away, maybe... "'still cloaked in the shadow of the gas station overhang. "'Kid, I'm going to ask you again. "'I need you to put your hands on top of your head and get on your knees. "'Fuck you, motherfucker! I'm serious.' "'The kid's hand was nearly inside his waistband now. "'Don't do it,' O'Sullivan said. "'The kid smiled almost gently. "'Don't!' "'The kid's smile broadened. "'The hand moved down into the pants.' Get the fuck out of my hood, the kid cheerfully repeated. I'll cap your ass. Kid, I'm warning you, O'Sullivan yelled. Put your hands above your head. Do it now. The roar shattered the night air. Sonic boomed in the blackness. The shot blew the kid off his feet completely, knocking him onto his back. And so that's where that ends. Like, he he shoots the kid.
0: Right. Literally right after he warned him, immediately shoots him, doesn't even like wait, doesn't assess the situation. And how is he seeing anything? He put his flashlight away.
1: Yeah. And he says like, like the kid genius. is in the kid is in shadow and all that. And if you watch like I don't know, if you watched cops when you were kids, like you would see cops in those situations usually put their flashlight arm parallel to the pistol while they're holding it. Because part of that is to blind the person you're aiming the flashlight at.
0: Right, and to make sure you don't lose sight of them so they don't yes. get the upper hand and possibly kill you. Yeah,
1: it's, it's, it's dumbly written, and he, he for mm-hmm. whatever reason, can constantly see the kid's dead hollow eyes and things like that. And it's, it's grossly written, too.
0: And I have to also say that it's mm-hmm. very interesting that he, through O'Sullivan, wants to complain about how police reform is a thing. Like, we need more police reform, honestly, but that's a topic, I guess, maybe for another time. But I just find it interesting that Shapiro, like, showed his ass on that.
1: Yeah, he mentions, like, that there's, like, oh, think about the... And it's, like, the reason people are saying that is because police... The foundation of most police in the South is through rounding up slavery, slaves, and has its history in slavery, where... Whereas the North also has that, but they also have union busting mixed in there. So cops have never come from a good place. They've always been problematic in shitheads.
0: I actually had a coworker yesterday tell me a story about how whenever he's out with his friends, even if he's a passenger, because he's of mixed descent, even if he's not the driver and they pull over the driver for speeding, he's the one that the police interrogate and run his ID and do extra questioning and do messed up things with him. Yeah. And that made me sad, but I'm not surprised because from what I've seen from my experiences, the police tend to be racist. I know there are good police, like, I know there are, but the bad have ruined everything for the good.
1: The problem is, is oftentimes you will hear the right wing say the whole rhetoric of, oh, there's just one bad apple, it's one bad apple, but they never finish that phrase. The whole phrase is, one bad apple ruins the bunch. Yeah. So, by that bad apple existing, and the police doing nothing about the bad apples, not kicking them out...
0: It rots the rest of the apples. It
1: just ruins the rest.
0: Right, the other apples are going rotten too, and it's more the norm for them to do this sort of racist stuff than it is for them to do the right thing.
1: you You can be buttoned up and, like, by the book, greatest cop in the world... But if you're still sitting there and letting other cops be racist and letting other cops slide by with things you know are systemically wrong with the police department, you're also not a good cop.
0: Yeah. I feel like there is some truth in that, yeah, because if you don't stand up for what's right, then you're telling us, even if you feel like you're not, that you're okay with what's wrong.
1: Yeah. And we've seen how they actually treat police that do try and stand up to things like that.
0: It never ends well.
1: They usually end up up being fired or...
0: Disciplined.
1: Disciplined to the point of quitting.
0: Yeah. So there's a reason that there's supposed to be police reform and that we're trying to push for that, Mr. Shapiro. It's because things are not good. Bad things happen and there are things that police officers will not handle that are bad things because of just... I don't know.
1: And things have only gotten worse with police since they're able to... They've had rulings and things like that where they've been told, yeah, you're allowed to lie on the stand and things like that. Mm -hmm. Like, you're allowed to shoot people with impunity because you have qualified immunity. There's a ton of things wrong with the way police culture exists in the United States.
0: Right. And the fact that they can pick and choose what they're willing to do something about, like, as a survivor of S.A., and reporting my abuser and being laughed out of a police station, I can tell you that my experience with the police has not been good. And it has nothing to do with race in that scenario. I'm a white woman, but because it's an SA thing, I feel like a lot of officers don't take that seriously, but that's a topic for another time.
1: The last reform I remember being pushed was to have police wear body cams, which is safe for both the police and for people. Yeah, because it keeps the police from being accused of things like doing racial prejudiced things when they pull somebody over, and it keeps people safe from those exact same things of did this cop pull you over cuz you're black.
0: Right. Exactly. Like, And did, did they immediately escalate to violence, or did they try to talk to you peacefully first?
1: Did that cop try and implant, implant illegal drugs in your vehicle? Yeah. That's why there should be always-on body cams and things like that. But they threw a fucking fit over it and said it would prevent them from doing their job.
0: I would like to know how, though, unless your job is to lie or to be cruel and brutal to people just as you wish to be like how would that stop you from doing your job
1: which is one of a lot of police officers not all but i'm going to generalize here and say a lot of them do join the police force for that exact reason because
0: they can be as aggressive and hateful as they want and get paid for it yep and have immunity for it one
1: of the big reforms that happened back way back we're talking 40s and 50s was that police were no longer allowed to like physically assault witnesses which makes sense no you shouldn't be allowed to kick the crap out of somebody to get a confession and they talked about how that was going to impede them from being able to effectively do their jobs
0: i have to say the opposite is true if you're beating (laughs) the crap out of me even if i didn't do the thing to get you to stop before you kill me, I might just confess to something I didn't do because well, I don't want to die.
1: And they but that was the problem. Like, you, those are coerced confessions. Like, those should not be standing up in law. Like, in,
0: right. This is a person fearing for their safety.
1: But anyway, we're we're gonna move on. Like the whole that whole chapter is like that section with Ricky is just it's him trying to basically be like, see, see. This is this is what police go through, and it's like, and honestly, Ricky is restrained in that chapter to where I think most cops, the minute they thought he had a gun, would have shot him.
0: Possibly, but there's another twist to this thing too. This child was a setup.
1: Yeah, the the gross theme with LaVon is they feed a child to a to, white officer to, to an officer in. The weird thing with this conspiracy white one. Well, the weird thing with this cons- conspiracy theory is they don't know a white officer is going to show up.
0: Yeah, but that's what they were hoping yes, for. But and- yeah, that's true. It could have been an officer of color, it could have been an Asian officer, it could have been a female officer.
1: But Ben Shapiro wants you to feed into the conspiracy theory that somehow they knew a white cop was going to show up and that that white cop was going to kill the black kid yeah and that's the big thing with levon levon's story is just ben shapiro being able to be racist
0: levon yeah exactly in our first episode i said probably the most problematic story of the three stories in this book was levon and it's because i feel like it's just an allegory for racism
1: and he could honestly like his character can be cut out of the book completely and and you're missing nothing
0: the only character we really needed from Levon's story was O'Sullivan. But even then, like yeah. did we really could no. we just have done the two other stories? Could we did we even have to have all three stories together? We
1: Levon's story could be cut out as could Ricky because you could easily have Aiden and spoiler alert for the end of the book, Brett is arrested and Ricky is the one that goes in and replaces him. I guess they could have had Aiden do you it. You could have easily had Aiden do that
0: yeah guilt for his like rougher days or whatever because yeah, well, the whole idea was o'sullivan felt guilty but but we'll get to that
1: there he he needed them there to basically spin more because again this is all just about ben shapiro trying to blab and it's dog, propaganda and dog whistle propaganda of his right-wing politics to somebody that doesn't know who he is that would read this book
0: or a cash grab to all of his fans who would definitely buy into his propaganda.
1: The next section we're going to get to is going to be Ellen. And Ellen is Brett Hawthorne's wife. Brett Hawthorne. He, he goes through talking about like them meeting when Brett is in college. But the way he describes Ellen, Ellen would not have married Brett. Like, yeah, she in, sounded
0: in, like a leftist artsy type. Yeah,
1: in reality, they would not have gotten married. But in... Ben Shapiro's weird mind, he's like, yeah, that Brett's gonna marry this liberal girl and turn her right wing.
0: She's gonna grow up when she marries him and become a real woman.
1: And it's just one of those things that that would not happen. But during his writing of her, she's in the southern border, she's in Texas, she's an assistant to the governor, Bubba. Who's named Bubba Davis. And Bubba Davis is trying to secure the border. And Basically, is just a big right-wing talking point for Ben Shapiro throughout this to espouse his views of locking down the southern border. But Ben Shapiro, in one of the chapters, has her be chased by cartel members who have a helicopter and cut off. And then Ben Shapiro starts horny writing. Okay. And she her be- her friend that is with her and also works for the governor's office. They're both in a Ford F150 and the cartel gets out and they command her to get out. She's in the driver's seat. Her friend is in the passenger seat and her friend is shot in the head. And then Ben Shapiro goes into horny writing and Elsa's going to read that horny writing.
0: Let's see if I can seduce you with Ben Shapiro's words. Hold on. <laughs> I <need a> <laughs> I didn't need a minute last time, oh my goodness. Uh God damn it. I can't compose myself. What the fuck, Chris? (laughs) I can't do it. Okay. Ellen pushed open her door, stood up, felt the waves of heat rise from the road. The sweat trickled down her lower back and into her underwear. She had time to think this wasn't very feminine.
1: So yeah, that—that that is Ben Shapiro horny writing about sweat going down in soaking underwear. <laughs> and now a normal person would have probably wrote like that she felt the her t-shirt stick to the back of her back, like due to sweat, or something like that. Like not Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro wants you to know the sweat goes down her back and down toward onto her panties, and how that was very unladylike.
0: Oh my lord. But, you know, he knows that these manly men like Brett Hawthorne that he's writing this for, they need to have some sexy, sexy stuff in the writing.
1: And they this, have to
0: have sexy bitches. This
1: isn't the only horny writing he does in here. He also does some horny writing with Prescott, where Prescott talks about how he can hear the lady's finger, sexy fingers on the other end of a phone. So he, he's got some horny writing in here.
0: Yeah or he tries to because I still swear that man does not actually enjoy sex like, I think his wife has something on the side because <laughs> you know he described WAP through supposedly the words of his wife as a medical condition so I'm pretty sure he's not pleasing his wife
1: but that is that is has Shapiro's horny writing and like that is that him and his horny us in this book is him describing sweat going down somebody's back and onto their panties
0: Right. Cuz a sweat drip into your butt crack is so sexy.
1: Well, we know we now know Ben Shapiro unconfirmed allegedly Ben Shapiro may or may not have a sweaty panty f- sniffing fetish.
0: <laughs> Are you saying that Mr. Shapiro might be an ass man?
1: He be, might be.
0: <laughs> but anyway.
1: <laughs> but we're going to we're going to move forward now. And segue into Brett Hawthorne.
0: Brett Hawthorne. And oh, I lost my voice on that one.
1: (laughs) This is after he's been free, like he's evaded the terrorist capture from the embassy in the city of Kabul, and he's doing something incredibly stupid. Go figure. Ben Shapiro should know this is incredibly stupid or should have actually talked to his wife about this, but he doesn't. But I'm going to read this passage and then we're going to discuss it. At night in Kabul, temperature dipped to below freezing. The good news was the cold had helped stop the bleeding. The bad news was that he was in danger of going into hypothermia. He could barely keep himself conscious. He'd only been able to do so thus far by jabbing the butt of his M9 into the wound to feel that sharp pain. Now his arm was numb. If he fell asleep, he'd be a carcass by morning.
0: His arm is numb because it's probably infected now.
1: Now, the problem with this is cold air does not stop bleeding. It will slow bleeding. But also, if you're jamming the butt of your gun into the wound, it's not going to stop bleeding.
0: In fact, you've probably infected that wound now because your gun is dirty.
1: Yeah.
0: It's like, filthy in this scenario.
1: He gets out of the embassy by jumping off the embassy roof and, like, rolling on the ground.
0: So that wound is. <laughs> like, there's no way that wound's not going to be infected. So he
1: is dirty. Like, he's oh, not.
0: Grimy and filthy. There's a point where it describes that he hadn't taken a shower in a while. Yeah like there was a scene about that
1: it's an extra level of stupid knowing that he's married to a doctor that he put like just stuff that he thought sounded cool in there but was an actual medical fact like he could have easily been like hey what is how how would this wound act to his wife and she probably could have told him something that would have sounded smarter than what he put in the book but then he would also have to admit that his wife was smarter
0: Yeah. I don't think his wife reads his books either, so there's no way she read over it at any point to be like, hey, by the way, babe. I think... But then again, she told him WAP was a medical condition, so... I
1: think Ben... Well... I feel like what actually happens is Ben Shapiro's like, I read a new book, honey. And she's like, great. And then he's like, why did you think about it? A few weeks later. And she's like, lovely. It was wonderful. It was
0: the best book I've ever read. They have an instant bestseller. And
1: she's never actually read the book.
0: Oh, exactly. That's exactly what happens.
1: But we're going to, she's
0: seeing her side guy.
1: We're going to jump now to a part that was actually, that's actually an interesting conversation to have given Ben Shapiro's views on this person. And we talked about this last last time in the audio that will never be recovered, but we do need to hit on it again because it is important. Vin mm-hmm. um, Shapiro hates Alex Jones.
0: Oh, my goodness. Hates he, him so much. Anytime you compare him to Alex Jones, he throws a fit.
1: He despises being compared to that man, and he hates the fact that people do it. And Ben Shapiro is an Alex Jones type. He is. As much as he fucking hates it. Alex Jones came before him, so Ben Shapiro is an Alex Jones type.
0: Ben Shapiro is Alex Jones with anxiety and probably without he, the drugs and alcohol problem that ben, Alex Jones has.
1: The, but Ben Shapiro, for as much as he likes to claim he isn't Alex Jones, sure did put a big fucking conspiracy inside his thriller book. And I'm not talking about like the actual conspiracy like in the book. Like, he puts a legit conspiracy theory in his book. Okay. And this is the passage. And this is Brett talking about Iraq and Afghanistan and the weapons of mass destruction that were supposedly in Iraq. Brett had known of the CIA's discovery of weapons of mass destruction in Iraq for years. Everyone on the inside had known. The media had reported that the government had lied, that somehow... All the world's greatest intelligence agencies had been dead wrong. But that wasn't the case. Hussein had smuggled some of the weapons out of the country to Syria. Others had been buried in the desert. So, this is him basically saying, you don't understand all those government agencies that lied us into the Iraq and Afghanistan war. They were actually correct. And Hussein smuggled the weapons out. And it's like, no, we we know for a fact they were lying.
0: Yeah. But that does sound like some shit Alex Jones would say. I bet like, he did say that, didn't he?
1: And this is because Ben Shapiro is a war Oh, he, for sure. He, support, he supported full-throatedly the Afghanistan War and the Iraq War. Yeah. Nowadays, because it's less popular within the Republican Party, he will act like that was a misjudgment on his part. But he I guarantee you, if if Biden turned around and said that he was going to go back into Iraq to police, he would be like, oh, this is a great call. This is a wonderful call. Like,
0: right. Biden did one thing right in his presidency, or would be what he'd say.
1: If Biden, for some insane reason, decided to go to war with Iran, same fucking thing. Ben Shapiro would be totally cool with that. Now, he's going to sit there and tell you, like, oh, I don't agree with anything else Biden did, but this one thing he's doing, this is great. This, yeah. is, this shows power. Like...
0: And then Alex Jones would do the same thing. Like, I yeah. can hear Alex Jones' voice saying what you just said.
1: Like, and it's because they're warmongers. Yes. Ben Shapiro is there to filter stuff for the right wing.
0: Correct. And he's their token Jewish character. Yeah, he's, he's... I hate to say that, but it is what it is.
1: He's there to filter out ideas that are anti-Semitic and basically be like, oh, well, it's not really anti-Semitic. Trust me, I'm a Jewish man.
0: Exactly, and
1: like it doesn't matter like how fucking racist or crazy something is, he will always do that.
0: And it's really messed up considering that he shouldn't be on the side of that at all. Like you realize, your right wing buddies don't like you either.
1: He is, an like this, this right here just shows like Ben Shapiro believes in some Alex Jonesian crap.
0: He just doesn't act all crazy and shout about it. He just sits there and has an anxiety attack on the Daily Wire.
1: He's he's not gonna. I wouldn't even say that, like, he's he's smart enough to have the tact to not blurt out those kinds of things out loud. Like, no,
0: he's more of an I'm-gonna-imply-it kind of guy, huh? He's
1: better at implying and repackaging
0: things. Well, still having, of course, that anxiety attack, because that man is always anxious, he's always keyed up. Whenever we try to watch Ben Shapiro's stuff to familiarize me with it, I get anxious because I feel his anxiety.
1: As much as I want to keep talking about uh, Ben Shapiro's conspiracy theories, we're gonna ju- <laughs> we're gonna jump over to something else that's kind of ridiculous. Now Prescott meets with a um, he meets with us. What we're not told what federal agency he works with, but we can just assume this guy is a CIA analyst. And like, we'll discuss this after I read the passage. He's very insulting to this CIA agent, bike that comes in. And I'm going to start. Prescott looked at the nerd. He hated beating around the bush. And this guy with the knockoff suit from Joseph A. Bank and the pocket protector was doing just that. He seemed self-assured. Self-assured as much as cranks were. Prescott had never heard of him. But with General Bill Collier sitting right there, Prescott couldn't just blow the irritating asshole off. We had to at least appear interested. And... This is just Ben Shapiro talking about how he thinks Obama is, like, a cool jock.
0: Oh, yeah, because Obama's played basketball, right?
1: Yeah, he's, he's like, oh, Prescott, like, because Prescott's, like, belittling in his head to so many people. He's like, this fucking nerd, like, (laughs) coming in here and telling me things I need to know. Right, doing their
0: job. How
1: dare, no president is going to act like that, really, like. Maybe Trump would have. Oh, Trump would have totally. I I could totally see Trump acting like this and just being like, I don't fucking care.
0: God, what a nerd you are.
1: But I don't think. You are a
0: big nerd, the biggest of nerds. I
1: think Obama was mature enough to handle the office of the president to know like when the cia was like briefing him on
0: something he needed to listen
1: to listen and not be like what a fucking nerd look at this nerd and what he's wearing oh what a nerd
0: also this is obama i don't think obama had a problem with nerdy people like i think the obamas are actually very well educated
1: (laughs) but it's it's just it's further proof that he's just kind of like what
0: Right, that was out of nowhere. He just wanted us to hate Prescott as a character, I think. Weirdly, Prescott's the like only character I kind of like.
1: So now we're going to jump ahead back and do another Ellen chapter, and I'm going to just read the paragraph, and then we're going to talk about what is so problematic about this paragraph, because it is one of our serious, more serious conversations that we had, and we're going to rehash that conversation <laughs> because it needs to be had yeah and this is ellen arriving at the capitol to talk to bubba davis when she arrived at the capitol she made straight for the governor's office the halls were thronged with angry texans and angry texans were anything but subtle some carried signs tacked to wooden planks close the border enough is enough protect your people She edged her way past one burly linebacker of a man wearing a cowboy hat and a gun, which was perfectly legal in the state. That was reason enough for Ellen to love the Lone Star State. There wouldn't be any random shootings in the Capitol building anytime soon, even if the media made it seem as though every civilian with a gun represented a threat to public safety. For every nut with a gun, she knew there was 10 willing to put him down now this is problematic because gun safety is becoming a bigger and bigger political issue because one side of the political spectrum the right wing does not seem to want to put any form of regulation on there
0: and that's completely insane to me i feel like there has to be a lot of regulation on that because a lot of people who commit like crimes with guns like very dangerous ones are people with mental illness or a history of violence
1: and the other problem here is he's mentioning texas and acting like oh texans don't they don't mess around when it comes to gun control if there's ever a nut job out there shooting people they're gonna take them out the problem with this is we all recently saw uvalde happen uvalde texas were a lone gunman Went into a school and killed a bunch of th- first graders. And we saw cops who were supposed to be good guys with guns stand and cower in fear for more than like two to three hours at the end of a fucking hall.
0: They feared for their own safety, so they didn't do their job and let all these kids' lives be at risk.
1: But- it was bad enough that parents were risking arrest that were outside the school by running past the cops to get into the school to get their kids.
0: Right. And that shouldn't have had to happen. We should have had the police officers, the good guys with guns, in air quotes, going in there to do what was necessary to protect those children.
1: You can try and tell me, like, devil's advocate here and go, oh, well, that's an isolated incident. It's not. Like... The, the cops, they're not there to protect you. Like, they don't have to. Like, they should. It should be a part of their job.
0: I mean, considering that's their motto. But there's... Serve and protect. There
1: are laws on the books that say, like, that is not something they're... They're not required to risk their life to save you.
0: Then what's the point of them taking that job?
1: They're there to protect property.
0: That's it. Like, that's so irritating.
1: And... But the, but the other problem is, is... Ben Shapiro for somebody that seems to like jerk off to like Texas and its gun support laws and all these great things in Texas, why do you live in California?
0: Because he doesn't want to be a, he doesn't want to lower himself to hang out with rednecks.
1: Like if if Quote, Texas unquote. if Texas is like the dream of dreams, why is your ass living in California? Now he'll probably argue, well, this is where Hollywood is and I run a studio and it's like. You could run your stuff out of Texas.
0: Alex Jones does.
1: Yeah. He has like, for years. Like, there, there is a film scene in Austin, like, outside of even it Alex where Jones. where Alex Jones
0: runs his shit. Exactly. Like, even, out,
1: even outside of Alex Jones, like, there are film people in Texas.
0: Yeah, there are film studios everywhere. Like, like, I'm pretty sure there's probably one in our neighborhood that we don't even know about.
1: But, no, you want to live in liberal hellscape California, a court like I'm calling it liberal hellscape because according to
0: him, right. His in his mind, like, we're fine with L.A. I don't have a problem with that. Cause <laughs> I'm liberal,
1: but it's it's that kind of thing to where I'm. His views on gun control are gross, and we, if you decide to join our Patreon, we do have a bonus episode coming out where we talk about his eleven rules for debating leftists, mm-hmm. where he talks about his. It's themed around his discussion on gun control with Piers Morgan. And the problem is, is he likes to bring up the Second Amendment and be like, here, I'll give you this. I'm going to give you this pocket constitution. And it's one of those things of.
0: That was so ridiculous. They like
1: people like this like to always sit there and mention the first part, which is right to bear arms is in that amendment. The second part says well regulated militia. And the word regulated is in there. Which means you are allowed to pass regulations on guns.
0: And we should. Like, it encourages it from the way I read it.
1: Like, because if you're going to, if if Ben Shapiro is going to argue, like, absolutists, like, no regulations, everybody should be able to have guns. Like, then I'm going to take it to the extreme and silliness and say, why can't I have a nuke?
0: You shouldn't, because you don't need one. <laughs> you, Just, like... I don't think anyone should have milk military grade weapons because you don't need that.
1: It's for my self defense like and that that and that presents that silliness of that argument. like there should be regulations. You should not be able to have every firearm. Conceivable, like.
0: And even with a regular like handgun or something, I do feel like there should be regulations in place. I have anxiety. I don't think I should have a gun because no. my anxiety is very severe. What if I shoot someone just out of fear and it was just someone walking by and they had no intention of doing anything to me?
1: Like they're, and I'm just
0: feeling anxious that day.
1: There is no reason to not have regulation around guns. And I say this as somebody that... I grew up around guns. My father was in the military. I know how to clean weapons. I know how to properly handle weapons.
0: I and, haven't really done much with guns, but I grew up around guns, too. I grew up on a farm. My dad would yeah, like to go hunting.
1: It's it's one of those things of, like... And I was taught from a very young age, if this is loaded and you point it at somebody, you are going to kill them. Like, they will not survive. Now, it wasn't put in that form of phrasing for me because I was a kid. It was... They won't wake up.
0: Right. This is dangerous. Don't do that. <laughs>
1: like, and it was very clear from my, my dad was, you don't touch these unless I'm around. Like, it was, that was like a no-go. Like, so you can be raised around them. Like, I do respect firearms and Same. all that. I understand the lethality of them. Yes. But I also come from a background of going, I don't think everybody needs guns.
0: Right. I respect those who can responsibly own them. I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with them being your self defense thing or you having them stored away somewhere safe in your home. But I do feel like you have to pass an evaluation to get that. I feel like mental health should be taken into account and history of violence should be taken into account as well.
1: And if you look into, like, if you actually look into crime statistics and things like that, crime rates have been falling. They have been for a long time. There was an uptick during COVID, but the COVID, you could argue, extreme circumstances, extremely stressful for a lot of people. Some of that is probably, like, shoplifting and that kind of stuff. But you know what it did right after COVID? Started dropping again.
0: As Yeah, the economy opened back up. People could go back to work. People weren't desperate to feed their families. Yeah,
1: like, so, like, you can't argue that, like, the crime, the crime rates are out of control because they're really not. Now, the media can make it seem like it's out of control, but if you actually look at crime rates, they have been falling decade after decade. Like, we are not at the same crime level that we were in the early 90s or even the early 2000s. Yeah. It has just been falling off. And the, and the, the stats on whether or not having a gun in the home puts you at risk or puts a perpetrator at risk are still the same of you run a higher risk of the perpetrator using the gun on you than you using it on them. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's dumb, weird. It's his dumb, weird right-wing view of going, if everybody has a gun, then blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it's not true.
0: No, like, that is such a desperate play, and it's and wrong.
1: If anything, I think Vivaldi made that clear for everybody. You could be armed to the teeth and still be a fucking coward.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Because there were parents that ran into that school that did not have vests on or anything like that. Or a like, gun or anything. Or a gun, and they were pulling their fucking kids out the windows. Like, So, this is one of those things like, Ben Shapiro can spout all he wants at me, but I am for gun regulation.
0: I am extremely pro-gun hmm. regulation. I'm,
1: I'm not like somebody that's going to go, we should ban all guns. but no. Think, that's extreme like i am somebody that thinks yeah you can regulate them Exactly. are not i'm not and you're not advocating that all guns be eliminated and taken away from people
0: no i think if you can be a responsible gun owner that's your right to have them but i do think that we do need to think about who should be allowed to have them for safety reasons for harming others or even harming yourself as someone who has struggled with suicidal ideation mm-hmm. i don't think i should have a gun because what if that comes back I can't undo a gunshot to my head. And yeah, I just I think we need to be careful with who we allow to have them.
1: He puts this in there and he's like trying to do it as like an off comment of for every for every bad guy with a gun, there's a good guy with a gun and it's it's like no. No, we've we've already seen a number of examples of that not happening. Cuz if you, okay, if you want to throw Uvalde under the bus and say, okay, that doesn't count. Let's, that was an isolated incident. Um, from our own childhood, one of the most famous school shootings that happened was Columbine. Yes. And you know what the cops did during Columbine? They nothing. stood outside the <laughs> fucking school.
0: Nothing. They did nothing. They let it happen.
1: <laughs> like So again, it's a problem.
0: It's a huge problem.
1: And the fact that it keeps happening and there seems to be no movement on it. My only, my only thing when I come across like arguments like this is fuck that person. So fuck Binger Bureau, Not in the sexual sense. Fuck him in the terrible, like, oh, he you doesn't, shouldn't listen to him.
0: He doesn't like sex, so you don't have to worry about fucking him in that other sense. But I digress.
1: <laughs> Alright, we're gonna jump forward to some more grossness.
0: Go figure. More grossness. In true allegiance.
1: So, we're now at the part where we find out through LeVon that the kid was that O'Sullivan shot was named Kendrick, and Kendrick was given twenty dollars to go hassle a cop and,
0: and become a sacrificial lamb.
1: Basically, become a sacrifice so that black people could could hold protests and riots. And if you listen to our first episode, we go into where Ben Shapiro got those really fucked up ideas.
0: My goodness, ugh. I can't I just I can't it's so awful
1: because it's gross and it's it's one of those things of like without knowing where it comes from it just seems kind of insane to read in this book but once you realize the context of where it came from it just amplifies like how disgusting it is that he is he read this and he was like this is how they think like they being people of color and black
0: people Uh, he's such a racist piece of shit Ugh.
1: and like if anybody needs proof that he's like that he holds racist ideals it's in this book like he does plenty of racist shit in this book
0: a good portion of this book is literally just his racism
1: but he we're gonna skip over this but essentially you find out like him and big jim basically set this thing up with kendra and then later on, LeVon is there with a crowd of people. And this this is, like, super gross and also says a lot about Ben Shapiro's thoughts towards left-leaning people and left-leaning journalists. And I'm going to start this, like, midway through. This is LeVon with his guys. They're waiting to hear Big Jim, like, speak. But also tensions are high, like, because it's outside the jail.
0: Oh, the jail where they're keeping O'Sullivan. Sullivan was arrested for the murder of the child.
1: Yeah. LeVon had his men ring, ringing the edges of the crowd, ready to prevent any non-approved persons from getting too close to the media members. No footage of fools. He promised the Reverend and he intended to keep his word tonight. LeVon intended to be the face on the news already. He'd done his best Malcolm X impression early Malcolm, not the late stage. Islam means peace. Pussy shit for the networks. If we don't get what we want, he said, if we don't get justice for Kendrick, this city is going to burn. We've been burning silently for too long. Our poverty burns beneath the surface. Our ignorance burns beneath the surface. We've been left for dead in this city, just like black boys have been left for dead all over this country, and this country must pay a price if there is no justice. The sexy blonde with the short skirt seemed churned on at the at that point. Breathily, she asked. And what will justice look like? Ugh. So he threw in a line just for good measure. Justice will be done when people like you live in the mud you've made us. Only then can we lift each other up. Her eyelashes fl- fluttered. That shit was magic, LaVon knew. He'd learned it at the university, too. White coeds majoring in journalism were a cinch. Just drag them off their civilized perch and let them experience life outside the self-proclaimed white privilege. And they they let you know that you'd be doing them a favor.
0: So he makes it sound like liberal journalists enjoy the idea or get off on the idea of being as oppressed as marginalized groups of people and they just do this for the thrill and for the sexual tingle it gives them, I guess, instead of the fact that maybe they want to spread the story to do some good in the world. And that's gross.
1: Yeah, and with this... He also adds in the racism of having LaVon basically be like, I'll drag you down into the mud with me. And like, he's still running with that theme of minorities and people that are not white being uncivilized. Right. And tries to write off like LaVon not even thinking white privilege is a thing. Where, no, white privilege is definitely a thing.
0: We are two white people who are here to tell you that white privilege has been a thing since forever. It's been a thing it is yeah. a thing it's been a thing like, it's real
1: like if white privilege wasn't a thing a term like white passing would not exist
0: this is very true like and the story i told you about my friend who could be in a car with all of his white friends and be the passenger and be the one that gets profiled stuff like that wouldn't happen if it wasn't for things like white privilege and racism yeah there would be no racism without white privilege yeah because a lot of racism comes from white people. Okay, there'd be reduced racism. Let me walk that back because other races can be racist as well.
1: It's also fucked up that he's like, this girl was super like sexually turned on.
0: Yeah.
1: By by this thought, like the thought of like a riot or something breaking out is mm-hmm. his like implication here.
0: And that's what I was saying before. Yeah, that is just really gross. What she's trying to do. Is spread a story and figure out what needs to be done to help what do you think we can do to fix this so she can spread that out because that's what journalists do at least ones that are ethical that's their whole reason for getting into it is to do good in the world to be the voice of the voiceless
1: but no, with with this and him bringing up like white privilege as like an offhand comment and he's trying to like delegate this as in the sense of it's something that Levon knows that the liberal whites invented white privilege. And that's like, no, that's not a thing, Ben Shapiro. No,
0: it, racist white people made white privilege a thing. We're just acknowledging that it's a thing on the left. We're acknowledging that this is a thing and it's a problem.
1: If, if Ben Shapiro doesn't believe white privilege is a thing, then I want to know how did segregation become a thing? Right. Because a big part of segregation was also banning Jewish people from things.
0: Because <laughs> European white privilege. Like, like white people with European background, I mean. Privilege.
1: Yeah, it's it's one of those things to where like that little even though it's a short passage, again it says a lot about Ben Shapiro and his thought process, his politics, because that's the only thing he really cares about. He doesn't care about the story. No. He's just here to dog whistle and try and get you to feed into his political viewpoint.
0: And in a way with people like us reading this book showing us just how problematic he is because we're going into this knowing it's going to be problematic and knowing we don't agree with his views and this has told me so much about mr shapiro because i knew a lot less about ben shapiro coming into this than chris did and this gave me a huge picture of who this person is
1: ben shapiro is smart but he is not as smart as he thinks he is
0: i can see that yes He's a very well spoken man, I'll give him that. Like, anxious though he may be all the time, he does speak well.
1: I would not say Ben Shapiro is an idiot, but I will say like his viewpoints and the stuff that he defends, like even when he knows he's wrong, is idiotic. And I think I think he knows that.
0: He's one of those arguers that's basically like, nah, let me talk over you because I don't he's, got facts to back myself up, nah. It's it's the
1: it's the Ben Shapiro like pundit drivel, and you'll see a lot of like younger right-wing people start doing this like to where they will just talk over you and start spouting as many facts as they can and the reason they do this is they want you to like try and just engage with one of those but then they'll do the same thing
0: they want to overwhelm you
1: because they're trying to overwhelm you and not let you actually speak and the easiest thing to do is whatever question you initially ask them just ask it again to them be like that's great we can get to those issues answer this question
0: that's something i felt like piers morgan did well in the debate that we talked about in the patreon episode i feel like he did eventually start trying to bring it back to the point
1: because the thing with people like ben shapiro that like to do that style of arguing they collapse when you do that when you start holding their feet to the fire and telling them okay fine whatever i'll concede these points but we're gonna get back to my initial question
0: or even if you don't can see it you'd be like hey that's great we can talk about that in a minute but first let's talk about this because this yeah. is what the conversation was started around and i want to get to this first but
1: his book is this book has been just it's brain rotting dribble because the only thing he cares about is his political points of view.
0: Brain rotting drivel, but also in a lot of places, it's infuriating. Like, there are plenty of times that this book really just made me so upset. Like, this whole book's existence makes me upset because of all the things we've been talking about the racism, mm-hmm. the just all of the fucked up stuff he's talking about.
1: We're gonna end this conversation here and we're gonna pick it back up later. This because we're now at the halfway mark of this book almost at part two, the collapse. Yeah, so next next episode we will cover part two part three and the prologue he left in this book
0: because unlike mr shapiro we don't want to overwhelm you
1: and it goes without saying um be kind to one another
0: please for the love of all that's good don't send hate to mr shapiro or anyone in his camp I know we all disagree with his mindsets, and this book is infuriating, but we are not here to attack anybody. We're just here to have a conversation about the book, and in this case, Mr. Shapiro's views and why they're disgusting and why they need to be addressed, I guess.
1: Yep, and we will see you in two weeks.
0: All right, loves. Thank you for tuning in. We'll talk to you a couple weeks from today.